0: Thank you, Keaton. Appreciate you very much playing the guitar and the drums. I figured you were the reigning champion of pat your head and rub your tummy. No? Pure talent right there. Uh, My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Han Chapel. Again, I want to welcome you here this morning. So thankful um, that you're worshiping with us today. I hope with all my heart that you had a wonderful Christmas. It's such a special time. I get... Uh, I don't get emotional much, but when I think about the opportunity that we have uh, to gather with our families and celebrate the birth of Jesus, it gets me. I had a great time hanging out with my three girls, and that's stuff that I try not to take for granted, and I enjoyed every minute of it. I hope you had a wonderful time as well. Before we get started, can we pray? God, we love you. Thank you so much. For all that you do for us. Gotta pray for us this morning that as we look at your word, that we are able to rise to the challenge that you have for us. Be with this church. Thank you for Jesus. We ask everything in his precious name. Amen. This morning, um, the title is, What's My Mission? You probably see it on the back of your handout. What's my mission? We're going to get there. I'm going to provide you with that answer. Um, shortly. But typically, right around the New Year's, you have all these uh, kind of New Year's resolution sermons, and that's great. That's awesome. This morning, I want to uh, perhaps present to you uh, one of the greatest spiritual challenges you've ever been presented. I know it's kind of a bold statement, but I believe it with all my heart. It's a massive, it's a very large challenge that we need to rise to. If you've got your Bibles... Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verse 19 and 20. This is known as the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. Let's read it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission, we've heard it. Um, Typically, we hear it kind of on Mission Sunday, right? Or We hear it in the context of a foreign missionary coming here and preaching to us. And if we're not careful, we only think about the Great Commission in the context of jumping on a plane and going to a foreign land. And we neglect the fact that the Great Commission is a commission for you and me here today. For you and me here today. It's for you and it's for me. This morning, today, I want to break down that that verse for you, if I may. Uh, The word go, baptize. And teach, they are all participles that get their direction by the leading verb, make disciples. Did that make sense? They get their direction from the word, make disciples. Why should we go? We go to make disciples. Why do we baptize? We baptize because we made disciples. Why do we teach? To make disciples. The Great Commission is, in fact, really great. It's incredibly important in the life of the believer. So you experience the change that Jesus brings in your life. You accept Christ. You place your faith in him. You are radically changed by the gospel. Too many times we have this question, what's my next step? Where do I go from here? How do I get plugged into church? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? In 2 Corinthians, uh, the writer says, Because you've been changed, because we have this new life in Christ, now I should live for Him. What does it look like to live for Him? With all my heart, I believe that living for Christ means making disciples. It means making disciples. So let's look at what disciple making is. I believe for us to really break down what disciple making is, we have to break down some words. Notice I didn't say discipleship. We say discipleship a lot. It's a good word. I like it. But for the longest time, I've kind of had this confused. And once we look at what discipleship is versus disciple making, hopefully it will provide a little bit more clarity for you this morning. Discipleship is a good thing. It's an incredible thing. It happens around here all the time. Through uh, pulpit ministry, through uh, Awana, through uh, Bible fellowship classes on Sunday morning, through HCSM and Awana, those things are incredible. The teaching of God's word—that is incredibly important. We should emphasize the education of believers, but if we're not careful, we leave out the activation of the believers. I love being taught new things about God's word. Raise your hand if you just love being taught new things about God's word. That's so incredibly important. But if we aren't careful, we become spiritually obese with knowledge, and we can't even get off the couch and walk across the street and share the gospel. It's a kind of give me, give me, give me mentality. We come here, we want to be taught, we just want to take it all in. And we never want to do anything with it. I've been guilty of that. I can jump into the intellectual debate with the best of them. I love it. But is it making me a better disciple maker? Probably not. So this morning we have to break down what is discipleship versus disciple making. They are closely related, but I believe they are different. Discipleship is incredibly important. We should teach God's word. But if we're not doing anything with it, what's the point? If you remember Matthew chapter 4, Satan and and Jesus were kind of going back and forth. Satan knew scripture, but Jesus applied scripture. That's the difference. So discipleship is incredibly important. Please hear me this morning. I'm not dogging learning God's word. I'm just elevating using God's word using it to make disciples. We grow personally so that we can pour into other people. If we're not careful, though, it's just a giant pitcher of water pouring into a little glass that just overflows all the time, and you're not giving anything away. You're not giving anything away. So what good is it? Disciple-making is the culmination of receiving this knowledge and then sharing it with others in a very, very intentional way. In my life, I was fortunate enough to have people pour into me. It started at home. I've got godly parents who elevated the things of faith in our home. I saw who Jesus was firsthand without ever leaving my house. I'm so thankful for that. In student ministry, I have a student pastor that met with me every Tuesday morning at 6.30 at Brown's Country Kitchen, bought me biscuits and gravy, and showed me what it was to follow Jesus. I'm thankful for Jay Jacobs. A guy by the name of Todd Calloway, who's actually here this morning, he's got this wonderful beard, it's the guy up front, to my left. I interned with him in Cleveland. I'm so thankful for Todd Calloway, that he invested in my life. Thank you, Todd. And then maybe my second year in ministry, this spiritual giant, literally and figuratively, he was like 6'5". He was a Costa Rican church planner, planted over 50 churches, moved back to the States. He walked into my office every Thursday morning And broke down God's word with me. I wasn't going to tell that man no, right? If he wants to pour into you, say yes. His name was Phil Knott. I'm thankful for Phil Knott. God used Phil to ask me the question that radically changed my ministry, but also radically changed my walk with Christ. He asked me, point blank, are you making a disciple? I said, well, yeah, Phil. I'm teaching 30-plus kids every Wednesday night, teaching them God's word. Yeah, absolutely. He said, no. Are you making a disciple? See, I knew what he was asking. I'd had it demonstrated to me before, but I realized that I could not answer that question honestly. I had to say, no, Phil, I'm not. He said, you see, if you want your ministry to last long after you're gone, do away with the Xboxes and big screens and flashing lights. Make Disciples, And it convicted me. No, I was not making a disciple. This last week, I had two of my former disciples. They were coming back from college, and their lives are getting crazy. They're getting married. Makes me feel old. But they called me and said, hey, we want to we eat dinner with you. I said, absolutely. I haven't seen them in almost three years. Had dinner with them. And I got to ask them that question, are you making a disciple? And it was the most proud moment I've ever had in my entire life. Both of them answered yes, and they gave me names. If we want to make a lasting impact for the sake of eternity, we must make disciples. We must. We have to. It's not an option. We have to. So why did each of these people, my parents, student pastor, Todd, Phil, why did all these people spend intentional time with me? Why did they do that? Turn to Mark chapter 1. Turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verse 16 through 19. These people invested in me because they were following the example set by Christ. And they were obedient. They were obedient. So let's look at what Jesus did. Verse 16 says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons James and John in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once. And they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. This is the example that we have of Christ calling his 12 disciples. What does it say that he did? He called them... And he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. It's a big big challenge there, right? Follow me. I don't believe that Jesus haphazardly called these men. I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, he knew exactly who he was going to call. There's some application there for you and me that we should be praying constantly, who is it that God would have me to disciple? But Jesus called these 12 and he said, follow me. Me. He gave them an example. These people that invested in my life, they gave me an example. Christ walked with these men. He talked with these men. He ate with these men. He discipled these men for three plus years. He gave them everything that He had. He was incredibly intentional about every single move that He made with these men sure he he taught them old testament and, and and the meaning of the prophecies but he invested his life he gave them an example john chapter 13 if you want to turn there john chapter 13 14 and 15 Words of Christ, he says, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. This is discipleship, this is disciple making. This is what you and I, as believers and as followers of Christ, have to do. We come alongside people who are either lost or early on in their faith, and we help them follow Christ better. Now, sometimes we have all these excuses, and I'm going to speak to that in a little bit, that prevent us from doing this, but you have no excuse. If you've been saved by grace through faith, you have no excuse. You know enough to pass along. You absolutely know enough. We've got to be able to make disciples. We have to be able to answer that question like I was asked. Are you making a disciple? I don't know how you're going to answer that today. I really don't. Christ constantly gave the disciples an example. This was the method that Christ Chose to set forth the gospel globally and through the generations. This is what Christ did. So, for the gospel to go forward, it's essential for us to make disciples. John the Baptist made disciples. Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In the book of Acts, we see disciples being made in homes at a staggering rate. What happened? We must get back to making disciples. In my small group, I know I've shared the story with you. I asked those in my small group, how many of you had somebody pour into your life at any point in your walk with Christ? And it was me and my wife that was it that raised hands. The first night of Disciples Path, week one, we asked the question. We had two groups combined. There was 24 people from 23 to on up in ages. I asked them that question. How many of you had had anybody pour into your life at any point in your walk with Christ? One person raised their hand. Forgive me if I'm a little passionate about this, but this is something that we are failing at. We are not making disciples. We are not grabbing believers by the hand and saying, here, let me help you follow Jesus better. We're not doing it. We're attending classes and we're buying Bible studies at an incredible rate, but we're not passing them along. We are building bookshelves of Bible studies, but we are not acting out the things that we learn. What good is it for you to have a bookshelf full of completed study and not help anyone follow Jesus better? It's pointless. Save your money. This is exactly why we have started Disciple's path here at Holland Chapel. Because every time I ask that question to a large group of believers, I'm overwhelmed at the amount of people who have not had a discipleship relationship. It breaks my heart. I've seen firsthand how important it is and how it can slingshot people in their walk with Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We recognize... The need for us to be equipped and to challenge each other to make disciples. You see, back in September, we started the very first semester of this ministry. Four groups met at varying times during the week, and they went through a 10 week study called Rooted. Rooted was just the material that we used, it was supplemental to help us wrap our minds around what disciple making is. And I believe God used it in a mighty way. As we looked at some of the foundations of our faith, we were constantly thinking about how how does this knowledge, how does this help me in disciple making? How can I take what I've learned and apply it and share it with somebody else? That was kind of our focus. And every single week for 10 weeks, they got tired of hearing me ask it. I asked the question, are you making a disciple? I want to extend the same question to you today, very pointed, point blank. Are you making a disciple? Are you making a disciple? They got tired of hearing me ask it. But you see, in my life, I had to go back to the point where I realized that I had to elevate making disciples, it all started with that question. If we're not asked, we're not held accountable, right? We don't have to rise to any challenge that we're not being challenged in. So I ask them all the time, are you making a disciple? Are you pouring your life into someone else? We had a a time in Disciples Path where we we talked about everything that that we're fearful of. What keeps us from doing this? And the first one that I want to speak to was the one most commonly shared was, I've never had this demonstrated before. And perhaps I'm asking you something that you have never had an experience like this. So you don't know what it looks like. You have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. So we wanted to put these fears aside. They're real. They're genuine. These are genuine concerns. Some people say, I just don't know enough about Scripture. I feel unworthy to walk with somebody. I need to be taught as well. Or I've never never had this example before. I don't have a clue what it looks like. But I can tell you this. Those people that were in in that group, they were really excited about this because they were ready to accept the challenge. And make disciples. So we got to walk together for 10 weeks, putting some of these fears aside, giving them some confidence, putting some tools in the toolbox to go and make disciples. It was my hope and my prayer that as we went through this, that every single person would rise to the challenge. They would feel confident and equipped to go out and make disciples. We took it uh, a step further in my group, and I believe another one. We, we had everybody's name printed on a sheet of paper with, with a, a blank next to it. And we said, pray that God would reveal someone that you can write their name in on this blank. They had to be confronted with the thought, who am I going to pour my life into? And yes, there were some names written on that list. There was no timeline given, but we wanted them to pray specifically for that person. I believe with all my heart that disciple-making is the method that Christ chose to change the world. And it's a method that we are failing at. I want to read some, some numbers for you. I challenged this group the last the last week, the 10th week, with some of these numbers. I said, if one person making disciples that, that make disciples every year for 15 years, at the end of the 15th year, 32,768 people would have been discipled. That's half the size of Benton, by one person making a disciple that makes a disciple, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, we had around 40 people finish Disciples Path, complete it. I broke that number down, that if every person that went through Disciples Path, all 40 of them, in 15 years were to make disciples that make disciples, at the end of the 15th year, 1,310,720 people would have been discipled in 15 years. Took it a step further. Pew Research says that there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world profess Christ. If every one of those people that profess Christ made one disciple a year, the world would be completely converted for Jesus Christ in less than two years. This is the master's plan of global evangelism. What Billy Graham did is is really difficult. Standing in front of hundreds of thousands of people proclaiming the gospel, not very many of us would want that task. But meeting in a coffee shop and telling your friend what it looks like to follow Jesus, that's pretty easy. That's practical. We can do that. We can rise to that challenge. Moms and dads, we can teach our kids how to follow Jesus. It starts right there. Husbands, look at your wife. That's your first priority. Disciple your wife. Teach her how to follow Jesus. Help her. If you've got kids, teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus. Don't rely on anyone else. If we just equipped and raised our kids to follow Jesus, it would change the world. But Once you've got that down, go beyond your home. Go to the workplace. Go to the best friend. Disciple someone. These numbers are compelling. They show us that this is something that is in reach. We can do this. Are you going to rise to that challenge of making a disciple? We want to be able to help you with that. We want to provide more clarity about what that looks like. So be looking for Disciple path to come down the road in the very near future again. We want to be able to help you. So what is my mission? The question on the back. What is my mission? Your mission is the Great Commission. You can write that in there. What is my mission? My mission is Matthew 28. And then right under it, I want you to write out the question, am I making a disciple? It's time we look in the mirror and we get real about our faith. Am I making a disciple? Am I really giving myself to someone else? Am I helping someone else follow Jesus? So what's my mission? My mission's a great commission. I then write the question, am I making a disciple? If you went through disciple's path, I want you to go ahead and Start making your way up front. Just, just hang out right here. If you went through it, we have 40 or so people. We had a lot of people text, say, I'm out. Just don't look at them. Look at me. They might get nervous. Just have them st- just stand right up here in front. Right up here in front. I believe that God did incredible things over the 10 weeks that we were together. I, I don't have enough time to share with you every single story, everything that was said. But I want to read a quote. I've got permission. A lady said this, growing up, churches pushed hard for you to be saved. And once you placed your faith in Christ, they just dropped you. In all my years of church, I have never had this opportunity to learn what it is to disciple someone. That comes from Miss Dean Calloway. This is really important stuff. So, these people are gathered in front of you this morning because I want to share with you the importance of the church praying for one another as we tackle the Great Commission. See, this is kind of a commissioning Sunday for them. Ten weeks is a fairly long time. They were challenged, hopefully, they grew. They challenged me. We had facilitators Brad Duncan and Josh Turner, as well as myself, leading these groups. So thankful for those men helping in that. But this morning, I want the church, you, to pray for these people. Pray for them. But also, I want these people to stand as a challenge for you. They've accepted the challenge. They're praying. They're working through what that looks like in their life. And I want you to be able to say, I I want that. I want to be able to rise to that challenge. And when signups come around again, I want you to fill your name in. Because 40 people can change the world. Imagine if everyone in this room, I didn't do figures on that. Sorry. Imagine if everyone in here was making a disciple. We would have in one in no time. Celine County and so on. Probably freaking out. They've been standing up here too long just looking at you. I'm sorry. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Kyle to come up here. I want Kyle to pray for these people. But as he's praying for them as they are rising to the challenge of the Great Commission, I want you to pray for them. But also, I want you to evaluate your heart and ask God, how can I make a disciple? How can I do what these people are doing? God, would you come up here and pray for us?